0: This is the Nuance Podcast by Medicine Explained. We're your hosts, Amanda and Dan. We talk to experts on health, the human experience, and the intersection of climate and human health. We explore the nuance that's been lost in today's conversation. We don't take ads because we want to keep our information unbiased. But we do need your support. So leave a review on Apple or Spotify. And share with your friends or on social media. In today's conversation, we had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Yuria Salidwin, who is a native of indigenous Nahua and Maya descent, born in Chiapas, Mexico. She received a PhD and focuses on the intersection of indigenous studies, cultural psychology, and contemplative science. From her work, she is uncovering indigenous contemplative practices from the world and finding their place in contemplative studies. She works at the United Nations to support international humanitarian efforts for the implementation of the sustainable development goals. Her specific concentration is the advancement of indigenous people's rights and the rights of the earth. She also teaches indigenous epistemologies and spirituality and her work pioneered the indigenous contemplative experience within contemplative studies. Hi, Dr. Salidwin. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, I've heard wonderful things about you from um, our friend, Dr. Nicole Redvers, and I'm really excited to talk about all of your work and then dive into the paper that y'all both wrote. Uh, featured in The Lancet called The Determinants of Planetary Health and Indigenous Consensus Perspective. Uh, but first, I have an introduction already recorded for you. But I really would love for you to just start and um, introduce yourself to me and to our audience.
1: Um, Maya etic that's uh, to Halal Skinal Chiapas, Mexico. Um, uh, how uh, the um, you just heard my Indigenous Maya Teltal language. Speaking my Indigenous language is a statement toward the reclamation and preservation of biocultural diversity. As we know, we are going through a massive extinction of species, like almost um, a third of species in the planet is uh, at risk of extinction, but we are also going through um, cultural extinction as we lose an indigenous language every two weeks. So uh, we know there's a link between biodiversity loss and cultural extinction, so they go hand in hand. So revitalizing... uh, languages also reclaims the places of belonging uh, of these traditions and wisdoms, uh, but also in itself are determinants of planetary health that we will be speaking today. So uh, it's a way of supporting the recovery and protection of the richness of our mother earth. And um, so also starting with that, I want to honor the lands, the lands, because as you know, Without the land, there is no home, and so there's no land, no life. So um, I want to honor the lands of, of my ancestors that hold um, the bones and ashes of my ancestors of the Nawa and Maya groups of Chiapas and my own hometown of Okosingo, where I was born and raised. Uh, and uh, as you heard, also the Leni Lenape peoples of the island of Manhattan in New York, where is my home today. And also make a note of the honoring the massive of planetary relatives that we we just mentioned that have lost their homes and their lands due to the climate catastrophe and uh, due to human impact. So just starting with that, a a note of reflection, a note of awareness, a note of... um, a call to consciousness of, of what we can do, with the realities, reckoning, but then the possibilities as well, the empowering of where we can, we want to orient our actions. And uh, as I said, I am a native of indigenous Maya and Nahuatl descent. I was born into a, a family of mystics, I like to say, of of, of healers of the soul and the body in the uh, highlands of Chiapas in Mexico for many, many generations now. And I grew with like a bridge between the wild, fertile wilderness of those cloud forests in Chiapas and also the magical realism of intellectual culture in Mexico. So I like to see myself a kind of like a... Um, mushroom spore or a dancing seed that came to these lands through the air uh, to enhance our human connection (laughs) or something like that. That's kind of like my more metaphorical, maybe my more spiral indigenous identity speaking. But with my other hat as well, I I am a a scholar of uh, contemplative indigenous traditions of the world. My in my research is on the intersection of indigenous studies, uh, contemplative studies, and cultural psychology, and I'm I've been very interested, uh, probably genetics, like coming from the the family, but very interested in the in the dis- interdisciplinary approaches to the experience of self transcendence, so like self transcendence, like the idea of uh, focusing on the needs and um, well-being of others and how this is embodied in or enhances pro-social behaviors. So that would be like ethics and compassion, kindness, a sense of reverence, especially, and a sense of awe and sacredness and love for the larger community of beings, uh, so for Mother Earth. And I, I am uncovering these contemplative practices of the world, bringing them into the contemplative studies field, uh, which had up to this few uh, last years, no indigenous representation. And so I've been having this quest of of reclaiming that space. And uh, uh, I also work tirelessly tirelessly, uh, for the um, implementation of the sustainable development goals. And um, uh, with a concentration of the defense of the rights of the earth and the rights of uh, indigenous peoples.
0: Thank you so much for that introduction. So you mentioned a couple of things that I'm going to touch on um, in our conversation. One is about ecological belonging. So uh, what exactly does that mean? For me, there seems to be a couple of camps when you're listening to people talk about humans and the environment and that includes either humans shouldn't exist because the planet would be better without them, or that humans deserve to dominate over the earth because we're like quote unquote a special species, like a one in a million type of type of species. So, um, where and how can humans belong in our ecology, and what does ecological belonging mean?
1: Um, fascinating questions. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Amanda, and. Well, yes, so much of the work that I've been doing is uh is precisely grounded in this idea of ecological belonging of self and spirit, you know, which conveys um a profound sense of of our awareness, you no know, realization of self and others, you know, committed to strong interrelationships. Um so ecological belonging is within a much larger uh this is that I developed a, a few years back and that I continue to work on uh, with this re, uh, realization of being part of a collective earth system, so a larger system. An awareness of being part of ecosystems and life cycles. This is also based on um, indigenous ontologies or cosmologists. And it manifests as an, an identity or a based group-based identity that's based on the earth. It has different components, but it manifests through uh, affective, like it's compassionate um, caring for the needs of others, but also cognitive. You know, like there is an acknowledgement, there's the assessment, realization, and the responsibility you know, of the volition to uh, change these actions and um, the motivation to to care and steward the the earth and the communities. So it's an engagement towards life forms uh, and the natural world that convene in very clear um, aims for flourishing And, and flourishing so many times we hear it lately, the human flourishing, right? But from the Indigenous perspective, we push it. It's not about the human. We are part of a natural world that includes any species, no human and other than human species, and they all interdepend for an environmental wellness or well-being. So uh, there is, of course, no human flourishing without Mother Earth flourishing. So um, from from my work on indigenous contemplative science, I've developed this, this as I said, of the ethics of belonging, which is where ecological belonging is, is nested. Um, and this is a, a commitment or a responsibility of individual within a community you know, and that is responsible with conscious and care for the larger environment. So it's always grounded within the community first, before the individual, right? So it's um, it's a, a, an important uh, natural tendency, let's say, you know, for cooperation that has been argued lately that it is what uh, the natural being uh, for humans are. You know, it's not the conditioning for greed or self-benefit. is actually has been learned from cultural narratives. So the two perspectives that you mentioned speak about this. You know? Mother Earth. Being better without humans, that's one, right? And then the other one that that humans deserve uh, to be the dominant species. But I I may note that perhaps these two camps are very are coming from Western perspectives, probably, <laughs> because, and I say this because they are very human-centered, no? probably as, as I've been saying this uh, collective or um cultural narratives you no know, like ideologies of domination come from possibly Abrahamic traditions you no know, religious narratives that speak uh about a dominant being, usually a male uh that then is is uh or has been given the the authority to rule over others. Also, there has been um, suggested lately that this may be a wrongly translated of the original text. You know that emphasized dominion over stewardship, but that it may be a nuance in the in the original uh, Hebrew. So that have to be said, but in the end, these these are uh, ideas that. Emphasize the um, the place of authority for one specific rulership, right? Um, But then the other one that you said, the 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 mother earth being better without humans, then again is depriving human beings of their natural belonging as well. Now human beings are also part of nature, not uh, not uh, as not a part of, you no, know, as constantly has been um, perceived, right in the West. You no, know? so once we start recovering the our natural earthling quality and identity, then rather than othering ourselves from nature, you no, know, as a non belonging species, rather we would then start. Uh, Behaving as part of this uh, larger system, responsible of this larger system, and having the possibility to exist in an interdependent, caring, compassionate way to to other species and phenomena that also belong within these systems, right? So we have to recover that we are natural beings, that we are earthlings, and uh, we are looking for that uh, conduciveness of of ecological belonging no? so it's a uh looking for a possibility of uh setting practical actions toward uh a universal goal of flourishing you know, of of all species and being you know looking for a, indigenous scientific systems that observe this Possibilities you now within within our stories, retelling the conditioned story of domination from stories of belonging. And so this is something that we need to relearn. So compose those old stories that are not serving our communities and the earth any longer, and retell our stories, you know, our identities from identities that set us part of a system, create a sense of reverence. like this place of awe, of being uh, in the presence of something larger than ourselves, which is the beauty of nature. And then the responsibility, understanding the suffering of the the beings that we have impacted, the responsibility of then restoring and protecting and conserving uh, all these other beings.
0: That was a beautiful answer. Thank you. Thank you. And so if we... If I myself or my listeners have grown up in this Western society and we have a little bit more of the human-centric ideology just because that's what has been taught to us um, in our culture, it seems that it lends a little bit to what you were talking about in your introduction when you talked about self-transcendence. So looking beyond the individual, looking beyond ourself. And in order to see the larger picture, the ecological belonging, seeing ourselves intertwined with not only other people and having compassion for other people, but for non-human species as well. So I know that you teach, you both practice and teach some pro-social practices. And so for these pro-social practices, why are they so important for our overall health and planetary health, and what are some practices that our listeners could try out?
2: Yes. I,
1: I love that you centered the, the question on practice, right? Because it's it's exactly that. It's a practice that just gets better and better as we carry it out you know, every day. It's not something that's stagnant, it's rather organic, it's moving, changing, and transforming constantly, but it's impacted by our intention, right? So um, contemplative studies, which is a broader uh, field, including uh, sciences, and uh, pedagogies, stories, narratives, you know, et cetera, philosophies aim to create that sense of reflection. The field is specifically focusing on introducing a first person critical observation. So like, what is my experience? What is my, uh, my uh, experience towards events that are happening or phenomena? I want to also push the indigenous perspective that also speaks about a second person experience. So then again, not only the individual, but the dialogue, the constant interconnection between self and others, as we are part of it. We are not alone in any space. We're not atomic beings, right? We are always responding and also impacting all other beings. So uh, my push in in the field is starting to have those kinds of uh, observation, reflections of how we are creating that dialogue and how we are impacting others. So in the 21st century, there has been a lot of uh, Western scientific study on practices and emotion uh, studies that distinguish these positive aspects of um, of emotions and how to enhance them. And so there was um, there has been a, this category of pro-socialist emotions called self-transcendent that are coordinating or orienting aspects of uh, life, you know, that cultivate resilience, adaptation, and collaboration that are benefiting life. But then again, bringing the indigenous perspective, it's not only about benefiting human life, but benefiting all of our relation, all of our relatives in the in the natural world. So these self transcendent emotions, looking for the the safety, for the security of resources, encouragement, uh, encouraging the assessment of the virtues of others, of the needs of others. But then also the suffering of others, you no, know, that the transcendence, you know, like not, not only of self. Um, so these pro-social uh emotions like awe, like uh reverence, like compassion, kindness, as I was saying earlier, um they reduce the focus on one's own needs and behaviors to start building stronger social networks, start building, folk uh, focusing on the needs of others, alleviating the suffering of others, you know, looking for the flourishing of, of others. You know? uh, and then, of course, numerous findings have uh, shown how these practices have um, improved the well-being, certainly, of, of uh, humans, you know, decreasing stress levels, improving cardiovascular health, Better self-esteem, etc. But then I would say, and uh, indigenous traditions would, would say, indigenous knowledge would say that this moves beyond you know the the self to include very holistic systems of respecting individuals within larger socio-societal societal, uh, and ecological systems. You know? And then we root our actions with a clear. Contemplative or conscious intention of what is that? uh, What will be our impact? But then also rooted in a sense of gratitude, in a sense of reverence for life itself. Know with a a kind of like uh, firm responsibility of 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 this sense of stewardship that I keep talking. Know the sense of belonging, ecological belonging, enhances or helps rise the the responsibility you know, that that we are bound to this reverence and utmost respect for mother nature and all, all relatives in, in, in our environmental relationships and caring for those relationships with that kind of tenderness and, and compassion.
0: Thank you so much. That was a really great answer. And so, I would love to jump into a little bit about the paper that was featured in The Lancet um, that you and your colleagues, including Dr. Nicole Redvers, co authored. So, again, this is called The Determinants of Planetary Health An Indigenous Consensus Perspective. And for our listeners, first of all, I know that before we started recording you were um explaining a little bit about why this paper is so important and so special so can you um please repeat that for our listeners and then also just what are some of the main takeaways for yeah for our listeners
1: yes such a such a heartfelt paper uh definitely and and of course this this was a Greater team effort, right? This is a this is a family effort, right? Is of course led by Dr. Redvers and, and relatives from all over the world. Different indigenous voices coming together to reclaim the not only the voices of of indigenous peoples in the aspect of uh, the contribution of how indigenous wisdom can help restore the elements of the environmental. Urgency right now, uh, but also because there hadn't been before any conversation about the determinants of planetary health, right? There is a lot of talk about the determinants of human health, which all of those are important. Of course, they are very important for the well being of our societies. But then again, we are missing that very core aspect. That we are embedded within larger societies that are not only human, right? So there has there hadn't been before this paper uh, a conversation about planetary health, you no. Know, and fortunately, right now it's expanding, and there is an awareness, and there's much more interest on this. Um, so, but I think this paper was really uh, a breakthrough you know, in in this uh, field. So. The beauty about this paper as well is that it's a family effort. No, it's relatives from all over the world coming together. And also that we use a methodology based on indigenous ways of knowing, right? So that is another aspect that um, we are bringing together, bridges. Of knowing, right? So it's not only one way that has the authority of understanding the world, but now we are starting to have these different conversations, these really, truly diverse ways of knowing the problems that we are facing today at a planetary level, of course, are contextual. So we need the very different voices that are being impacted by these conditions to. Contribute on ways to uh, to assess and then respond, adapt to these challenges. So this paper is 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 exactly that. And um, so within the long conversations that we had, the consensus process that we had, a, a, an indigenous consensus process, um, we found ten main determinants of planetary health, and they, they are. Uh, under three overarching uh, or overarching determinants, you no, know, the which are Mother Earth determinants because then again we have to start with the larger system. You no, know, we have to start with Mother Earth, and then the interconnected uh, determinants, right? Like the interdependent determinants, and then finally the indigenous peoples' determinants of planetary health. Many of these, well, the whole consensus project uh, process uh, were already coming from indigenous cosmovisions from different places, uh, different parts of the the world. This was a global effort, and um, they, of course, speak of the indigenous cosmovisions or worldviews, not the long-term sustainability and and health of Mother Earth, of the planet. Um, So this is closely related to what we were talking earlier about ecological belonging. So see, it's the embodying of universal interconnectedness as a transformational relational process of understanding our place within the larger system, within the world. And then this place can stimulate uh, an integration and a sense of responsibility to the larger world. Um, This, Awakened, I would say, you know, or this conscious sense of interdependence between people and planet can be achieved then through the uh, gradual process of awareness, but more importantly, action. Action that depends on the human potential for relationality, you know? So um, going back to the earlier uh, comment on is nature better without humans? Well, because humans are part of nature and we deserve our place in nature, we can also help restore nature and conserve and protect um, ecological and environmental systems faster, you no? Know? Just as the human impact has been uh, in the most important to the climate catastrophe, we also can readjust or restore and repair these systems with the possibilities that we have at hand. So um, as we start adapting these all inclusive considerations for our mother earth, our relatives in the other than human societies, we start also creating Senses of belonging, places of belonging, uh, inclusive societies, institutions uh, that are embracing these diverse knowledges. Uh, I spoke earlier, and you know, orienting our strong actions and possibilities for the well-being of of the Earth and all other living beings that that inhabit Mother Earth. So um, these determinants are ways to orient. What's going on? What's uh, the problematics that we are facing? And then what can be done? You know, the actions that we need to start changing not only personal lifestyle, but public policy, production patterns, and um, economic and political commitments. It's a call to action. It's a call to action, you know? it's a call to action uh, uh, for the the world for for planetary taking, waking up know that human health is only dependent on planetary health. So this indigenous perspective that brings us back into our place within a larger society of living beings and our responsibilities to them, like reiterating just this ecological belonging
0: idea. Yeah. Wow. That was a a really good outline. And I just want to say that I've read a lot of papers (laughs) and this was one of my favorite papers that I've, I've read. And, um, mostly because it changed, it changed some of my perspectives and it it was a call to action and it made me feel inspired and it was also scientific. So it was a perfect blend of, of all. Yes.
1: I am curious actually, because you mentioned, uh, you know, you read a lot of papers, of course you're in med school. So, um, That this call to action really moved you in many ways. So I now I'll I'll, I'll switch places for a moment and ask you, like, what what were those uh, those steerings, the the movements that happened?
0: So for me, every time that I listen to indigenous wisdom um, from an indigenous person or reading your paper, everything just seems to make sense. We think about things in such isolation. And I think the most inspiring part of like the 10 determinants of health is that it's a lot of interconnection. Everything is a system, um, and that's something that I found in medical care as well is that when we look at things in isolation, like a heart doctor or a gut doctor or a brain doctor, it doesn't necessarily make sense because everything talks to one another, and that is on a larger scale as well. And when uh, more Western studies talk about those things, it's very much in isolation, and also like the policies that we create are very one size fits all, which is leading to my next question, because I do think that the world is so different. Humans are so different. Ecology is so different everywhere. So we can't have the same solution for everything. So um, the way that you and your colleagues speak to the the climate and to healing, healing the planet, they're frameworks that we can use everywhere, but it isn't a We need to like do this specific type of farming for regenerative farming in this, like for all of locations. Like it's all very land based. So that leads me to my next question, which is we a lot of times talk about solutions for uh, the climate as a one size fits all. Doesn't even like even within the United States, like the whole United States is so different and so unique. um there's so much biodiversity both in human culture and in ecological culture uh, biodiversity. And so why can the solutions not be one size fit all and has to be uh, more land-based in in solving the climate problem?
1: Um, yes, and thank you so much for responding to my curiosity. Um, see, it is a dialogue.
0: <laughs> yes, I love it. Thank you for asking. Yes. Um, but uh, because it's
1: exactly that, no, it's a systems reality that we live. No, it's it's always things that are responding to another. We can't find just one, as you say, one quick fix or one pill to solve it all, <laughs> um, or or a template for every uh, situation, right? The problem with the West has been so much this impatience, perhaps the the non the inability to be able to sit still, observe, and then reflect. There is this strong drive for action, which is great in many aspects. For look, so what? So much uh, has been done because of that drive, but then again, there are moments in which their needs of stillness and their needs for dynamics. You know? There's this constant dance of, of balance within the larger cycles of nature. So then, of course, we are a part of that those cycles as well. And in, within your question, why can there be just like one size fits all? Because simply nature is not like that, right? But um, uh, so, why is it that, that it can't, uh, one side doesn't fit all, and the, the need for the quick fix doesn't work uh, with the greatest climate challenges and the, the impacts that we are uh, facing today? Within traditional cultures, there is a misunderstanding and maybe a tendency to universalize this uh, wisdom, right? But indigenous peoples are so vastly diverse. There are around 5,000 indigenous groups in the world living in 90 countries all around um, the world.
2: So they are exposed to different conditions. You know? uh, all of these Wisdom and knowledge,
1: this assortment of information should not be just treated as information, right? So like uh, what scientific, Western scientific uh, knowledge is, right? These are traditions that come for generations and generations that are responding from systems of observation, of community based, -based, land-based ways of knowing, holistic ways that take in in account the dependency that we were speaking earlier, the interdependency between all beings uh, that are very interconnected to the landscapes, the challenges, the conditions that people are living within their own environments. As I said, imagine 5,000 different groups Uh, all over the world, they will have extremely different conditions in the Arctic that they would have in the Amazon or that they would have in the desert, right? So we have to understand that these traditional knowledges are very contextual. They are based also sources of knowledge of environmental strategic management in very distinct, specific ecosystems right the problematics of adaptation may be similar but we can't ever assume that because we understand one situation then that would uh can tra- can be translated to all other situations right they may the moment that we try to just bring foreign conditions into our own, they may actually be losing their own meaning and their own purpose. Within indigenous traditions, this wisdom has been developing by, as I said, no systems of observation and testing as well, hypothesizing as, as in similar with Western systems. But, Uh, our ways of Indigenous science is based on these narratives of relationships, right? The understanding between the knowledge-making and then the knowledge application. But this happens regionally, right? This happens contextually. So the, the whole... Understanding or epistemology based on the land are embedded within the ways indigenous traditions or groups, nations steward their own landscapes, right? Protect their their own sacred
2: landscapes and uh systems. So it's also a way of responding to the rights of
1: governance of indigenous peoples, you no, know, the the indigenous natural law or, or first law that also respects and recognizes the personhood of mother earth right and so in that sense that um land specific or nation specific laws are rooted in in very complex very interconnected notions of of responsibility as uh, stewardship as um, going back to the ecological belonging aspect, the relationality and reciprocity uh, within, within the larger system of beings. You know, that is not only the human values, but the value of the whole uh, living earth system. Uh, so these indigenous cosmovisions or worldviews uh, are as connected to their land and nation and traditions that cannot be really on. Un- inherently the same with, with others no like and that also is the beauty of it we could learn from different aspects and then adapt it to our own right like understand from this con- constantly changing constantly transforming situations how to adapt them in the way that uh that uh, speak to the, the needs and conditions that we are facing in our specific contexts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's very, very well explained. Thank you. And something that really stands out to me is that we have to be in conversation with these indigenous people across the world because they already have that land-based knowledge. But the problem a lot of the times is there's been a lot of extraction from indigenous folks. So how do Um, we learn from indigenous wisdom and use their knowledge without co-opting it or being extractive?
1: uh, Thank you for for bringing this up, because this is a very, very important and very sensitive topic as well
2: for for indigenous uh, tangible and intangible Property, you know, like um, cultural intellectual
1: property. You know? So uh, we need to understand this serious concerns of of appropriation, extraction, capitalization, corporatization, commodification of indigenous wisdom that happens over and over, and that continues to happen. And um, right now, just this, this a, as a note. Uh, we're also working on this uh, project to defend the um, indigenous medicine systems towards the capitalization of the um, psychedelic movement that is really problematic at this moment. But this is another project that I'll be happy to talk about in another moment. But this is something that we are constantly facing, that's what I mean. So understanding the difference between appropriation and then effective allyship. Right. So seeing these two different uh, ways. Appropriation, yes, is taking without permission you know, of others, and then not only taking, but then transforming it you know, uh, uh, to your own benefits. And most times, as it happens constantly in the West, they have an uh, economic benefit. Right. So being very mindful of these issues implies tremendous courageous uh it's a courageous journey of reflection you know then again we're bringing back the contemplative practices you know reflecting observing and understanding what the impact is and and a lot of conversation right conversation that has to be participatory it's a it's a dialogue with the peoples that are being affected right so it's not not only uh westerns minding that they have the whole understanding, but rather conversing. What would be the most respectful way to engage with these different traditions? How would be the best way to maybe learn from tradition or replicating uh, in a way that is respectful and that is inclusive? So not only taking the mic and then replicating privileged voices, Or uh, weird voices, no Western educated, industrialized, rich and of democratic origin, as it's called, the weird groups, but rather starting to uh, create platforms of participation. Uh, Colonization, as we know, and coloniality manifests in so many different forms. We live in structures that are perpetuating these systems time and again, without apparent notice. So this is a long process of reckoning, understanding these old stories, this conditioning, owning what has been that part, and then decolonizing our own minds, bodies, actions, institutions,
2: systems, uh, etc. So standing with, but not in place, right? Not to take on the leadership of the work of indigenous voices,
1: but being indigenous voices, the ones to lead these conversations, right? Uh, So creating these places for credibility and validation for support of other systems of knowledge, right? Authority should be carried in a community, not in one single system of understanding the world, right? So, and let me, uh, when I say validation, it's like we don't need validation, right? Validation is already recognized and determined by our own systems, but
2: making or creating spaces you know, in that uh, privilege can be held in, in a community-based, right? Of course, there has
1: to be reparations. There has to be equal standing of conversation for that. Because there has been constant uh, marginalization of voices, there is very hard to create places of real equal standing when when there has been abuse, you know, constant abuse. So for that, there needs to be a reparation process, you know, a, a reckoning process uh, to restore the authorities, to restore places, to return uh, lands, return uh, authority, return systems with places so, so that there can be places of, of conversation in um, respectful ways. And then of course, um, creating those spaces mean equal standing in all aspects, no economic aspects, governance aspects, uh, political influence, etc. cetera. it's a, it's a yeah. very complicated, multi-intersectional. You no, know, as as we have been saying, it's a it's a systemic you know, concern.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that with um, with me because that'll help me move forward in the future and then with my listeners as well. Um, I mean, that's part of the reason why I invite folks like you, like Dr. Salidwin, to be on this podcast because I can read your paper and I can like regurgitate what I learned from your paper onto my podcast and to to our listeners. But instead, I want to amplify indigenous voices because I mean, you're the ones who are doing the work. You're the ones with the knowledge. So I really appreciate what you, you were saying. And, uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We do only have a few minutes left and, um, I do just want to, stress uh, what we've been talking about here. So a lot of it is interconnection and ecological belonging. And something that we want to do on this podcast, because I'm coming from the the healthcare side of things, is interconnect human health and planetary health. And just in everything you've been talking about, how um, we belong to one another, to um, our ecology, that if something is sick in this planet, if we're destroying our waterways, we can't survive with it polluted water, with polluted air. Um, if we're losing biodiversity in plants and animals, it affects humans as well because we're all interconnected. So a planetary health is, is a human health issue. Like you were saying, it's not human-centric. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with before I ask you um, our final question?
1: Um, well, to reinstate as well, dear Amanda, that it is a dialogue, right? It's a conversation. That we we wouldn't be needing to have. It's a places of belonging are not, not about including within an established system, but rather mm-hmm. creating, co-creating a participatory system in which each voice has equal standing, equal place, and contribute to solutions that will impact and benefit all. Um, I would like to maybe just leave uh, a, you know, with a very tiny poem of uh, indigenous Nawa wisdom that that speaks about about this. And in the
2: in the original Nawa language, it's it says like this. Kazan achitsinka, Kazan Kualachik, zani Ipaltsinko. Titishima kiko in totekuyo kanel umpatosen chan um patosen populuya um patlatla patla ka oisen on kiss. <laughs> we are only merely here a tiny bit. Merely in this place we come to know ourselves in our divinity. Truth is, our shared home is there where we are to be composted, where the earth is widened, where we become one. Jokolahualtla Sokamati, gracias, and thank you so much for having me and for creating
1: these places of coming uh, conversation
0: thank you for all the work that you're doing uh i hope that we stay in conversation and stay in touch i'm really inspired by both you and the paper and the wisdom that you have to share so thank you so much for for everything and for joining us on our podcast today
1: yes may may these be seeds that we are sowing in the hearts of the world but it's our garden It's our collective garden, so we have to tend it together.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You
1: too. Much love.
0: The opinions expressed on this show are those of the nuance in medicine explained, and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of their places of employment. The opinions expressed on this podcast are meant for entertainment and education purposes only, and should not be used to diagnose or treat any medical condition, nor should they be used as a substitute for medical advice from a qualified board-certified practicing clinician.